Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, y'all? We are back with another edition of the DNBR Rams podcast. I'm Justin Michael. It is late Thursday night when I'm recording this. I hope my voice is okay. Nuggets coming up with a big win. I was very animated in the fourth quarter, screaming at the TV. Probably not the best decision in hindsight, just knowing that I had to record this podcast, but it's the playoffs. It's emotional. It's raw, especially for Nuggets fans right now because everybody feels disrespected. And frankly, that just kind of comes down to some of the absurd comments that have been put out there by ESPN all year. Their constant effort to disparage Nikola Jokic. I mean, they're pretty much responsible for him not winning that third straight MVP. But then on top of that, just having to have Mark Jackson on these broadcasts and then the sideline reporter who I don't want to pile on, but just admitting that she wasn't familiar with Jokic's game, which is just crazy. How are you paid to be a part of NBA broadcasts and not familiar with the two-time MVP? That's just crazy to me. But I guess like any industry... There are probably people that are in certain positions and shouldn't be that don't put in the work. But the most wild part about the entire situation is the shamelessness with which these people admit their own incompetence. I don't know. If I was on TV, part of the Western Conference Finals broadcast, I would be embarrassed to admit that type of stuff. Probably wouldn't want to just put it out there. Like, could you imagine if you were watching the AFC broadcast and the sideline reporter said something along the lines of, I didn't realize Patrick Mahomes was actually good. But the thing is, it's so commonplace to be dismissive of Denver as a basketball market that these people have no shame just admitting that they don't pay attention, that they don't watch the games because they know so many of their colleagues are, are phoning it in just as much as they are. Frankly, it's embarrassing. And if my team wasn't in contention, I certainly would not be listening to any of it because the product just isn't good. I mean, they openly admit they don't pay attention. And the rest of the time, it's just a bunch of opinionated assholes shouting over each other. I don't know. The way the NBA is covered on a national level is just nauseating to me. Like the TNT broadcasts are pretty entertaining. I love Chuck. I love Shaq. But a lot of the rest of the coverage, again, on a national level, and I'm really mostly talking about TV here, it's just terrible. And it's really frustrating, and it has Nuggets fans in their feelings for sure. 
I'll be real. We're sensitive about it. And we're tired of the obnoxiousness. We're tired of being ignored. And when the Nuggets win, it probably brings out the petty side out of all of us. It, it certainly does for me. But the reason I'm bringing it up on this pod is as I was sitting here putting together my notes, and by the way, I haven't done very good on this intro, but we'll talk about uh, the Ryan Williams extension, CSU men's golf, Manny Jones getting claimed by the Steelers. We'll get into some Mountain West win totals, a bunch of fun stuff. But as I was putting together my notes for this podcast, getting all amped up, Nuggets are leading 2-0, but if you're listening to any of the talking heads, you'd never know that, or you'd think it was some type of fluke or miracle or something that the Lakers aren't somehow on pace to sweep this series. I just, I had the realization that college football season, as CSU fans, it's going to feel very similar. The situations aren't perfectly comparable. But I just mean with the way that CU is going to get all the attention, they're going to get all the love, the talking heads are going to go out of their way to gush over Dion. I mean, you guys see it all right now, but it's going to be so much worse come football season. It won't matter. CSU could go into Boulder and beat CU. The narrative won't be, wow, look at what is being built in Fort Collins. Look at this special program that's being established under Norvell. No, they'll find ways to justify it for Dion, how it was, you know, a tough situation coming off of the Nebraska and TCU games. And it honestly is. Their schedule is brutal, which is a big part of why I think people need to tap the brakes and come back to reality when it comes to their predictions for that program. But much like the NBA, much like it is right now with the Lakers and Everyone on ESPN finding ways to hype them up, finding ways to give LeBron his love, his praise, like we somehow don't hear enough about him. That's how it's going to be with Prime come fall. The Rams could win the Mountain West. They could beat CU and all the all the coverage, all the talking heads, all they're going to focus on is Boulder. It's inevitable. It really is at this point. But the truth is, is We just have to learn to tune it out. And I know I've been rambling about it for a couple of minutes here, so it's ironic for me to now be like, screw them, it does not matter, you know, just just ignore them. It's so much easier said than done. I get that. But at the end of the day, like, these people don't know what they're talking about anyways. They're not worth our emotion. They're not worth our attention. And while I'm all for occasionally being petty, pulling out the receipts, cracking jokes, all that fun stuff, at the end of the day, if the Nuggets win a championship, I just want to celebrate it because it feels great for us because of everything we've been through, not not because of some dumb stuff they said on ESPN or because we're trying to prove them wrong. It's not about them. And that's kind of the same mindset I'm trying to take with CSU in this football season. It's easy to get wrapped up in in the narratives and the overblown hype that CU's getting. But the talking heads that are drooling over Prime, they aren't worth your time. Neither are CU fans. There's never been a more perfect example of how that fan base acts than of late. They love to play both sides. They love to do the big brother, little brother game. You aren't even worth our time. We shouldn't even be playing you but they're also simultaneously completely obsessed with everything CSU. I mean, I get more mentions on the DMVR Rams accounts from Buffs fans trying to troll CSU about recruiting than anybody else. It's so obnoxious. 
But again, at the end of the day, if CSU has success, if they turn it around, if they make even a bowl game this year, I urge Ram fans to celebrate that because of what it means for us, not because we're proving CU wrong or something. It's not about them. Anyways, let's move on. I have rambled about this so much longer than I intended to. I hope that made sense. It makes sense in my head. But sometimes once I get going on here, I start rambling and the words are going a million miles in my head and I don't articulate exactly what I'm trying to. But we're going to move on. We're going to do an expedited segment of what's happening in Agland. Talk about the Ryan Williams extension. Talk about CSU men's golf. Bring up Manny Jones, who most recently got claimed by the Steelers. I love that. Then we'll get into the Mountain West win totals on DraftKings. I'll give my way too early predictions for those. It's probably something we'll dive back into once we get closer to the season and have a little bit more info on some of these rosters. That's a large part of what the summer consists of for me, just trying to consume as much information as possible about these other teams in the Mountain West, both football and basketball, so that I don't come off like some of the ignorant NBA reporters. (laughs) Moving on. We're moving on, Justin. But uh, take on the sun with gear that's built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered for the warm weather ahead with premium polarized shades at an affordable price. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Durable frames, extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. That's not all either. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even day one, they told us they're going to send you a brand new pair. No questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase. And if you don't love your Shady Rays, exchange for a new pair or return them free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop. Their team always has your back. If you want to check it out in person, you can see their entire collection at the Park Meadows Mall. It's a full-stop shop for all things Shady Rays. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays has given out the best deal of the summer. Go to ShadyRays.com, use the code DNVR for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people. And when you're wearing those Shady Rays, kicking back in the sun, maybe you're by a river somewhere, maybe you're just in the backyard, Shoot, maybe you're inside, but you just want to feel cool because you're so you're wearing your sunglasses anyway. Do it with an ice cold Breck Brew in hand. Breck Brew is a beer for any occasion. There's no better way to watch a game than having some ice cold Breck Brew on deck. They've been doing it for 32 years, and it all comes down to their love and passion for making good beer. You really can't go wrong when it comes to Breck Brew. They have a summer shandy that is just delightful. I love their seltzers. My mom does too, actually. That was a small part of her Mother's Day gift. Got her something else as well. Didn't just get her some seltzers. But yeah, I got her some of that and she loved it. Uh, but personally, I just love the Avalanche Amber Ale. It's tried, it's true, it's classic. Check it out. Check out all their beers at the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com. Find a brew near you. Cool, cool, cool. We're going to start here with what's happening in Agland. That is just where I go over the most recent news with some of the the various teams around campus. This is when I talk about volleyball, track, golf, all that kind of fun stuff that I don't typically focus on, but try my best to highlight when possible. I will say csurams.com, always a great resource if you are looking to keep up with some of the Olympic sports. Uh, Mike Brohard, some of the other various SIDs, they do a really good job of highlighting these great programs because a lot of them really are quite good. But the first piece of news we have here, and it's a couple of days old now, 
is that Ryan Williams, the women's basketball coach, has signed an extension through the 2026-27 season. Got a quote from the press release here. My family and I love being a part of the Colorado State community and calling Ram Country home. It's an absolute privilege to be Colorado State women's head basketball coach, and I'm very honored and humbled to receive this extension. I look forward to the continual challenge of building a championship program and a perennial contender in the Mountain West. I'd like to thank University President Amy Parsons, Director of Athletics Joe Parker, and Senior Women Administrator Shalani Shanker for their incredible belief in the job we are doing. As is noted in the press release in the 11 seasons that he has been at the helm, he has a 212-128 record overall. That is a winning percentage of 624, seven seasons of 20-plus wins, and five total conference championships. They've reached the postseason seven total times, including the NCAA tournament and WNIT. And CSU has had 19 All-Mountain West awards during his tenure, including three Mountain West Newcomer of the Year honors. He's done a really good job of adding transfers to the program and having them make an immediate impact. As far as the decision to extend him goes, I think it makes sense given his Continued success. They they had a couple of down years there in between the the Nistrum Gustafsson era and now what will probably be known as the Hofschild era. But he's the program's all time winningest coach, as you can tell by everything that I just went through. Most years CSU has been in contention under him. And even though I do think it's fair to point out that although there have been quite a few years where his teams have been really good in the regular season and then kind of come up short in the the Mountain West tournament, I think that's a tough way to judge success for a program because inherently the format, it's so wonky. You're going to get one, you're a one-bid league, and it all comes down to being able to win three to four games in a three to four-day stretch of a single elimination tournament. That basically decides your fate for the whole year, whether you're a 30-win team or you're a 15-win team that sneaks in and just gets hot at the right time. So if you have a coach that represents your program well, that most years is generally going to have your team competitive, especially in a non-revenue-generating situation, you just kind of have to maintain the status quo. That's not to say that you don't want to be competitive, that you don't want to push for championships and all that. It's just understanding that it's a little bit different level of expectation. Ryan Williams coming up short in the Mountain West tournament just isn't going to draw the same type of attention or reaction that, say, Mike Bobo losing multiple bowls in a row would. So I think the extension makes sense. I think he's a good coach. I don't know if he's a great coach, but I think he's a good coach. And frankly, it's easy to sit there as a fan and think that the grass looks greener on the other side when in reality it rarely is. You think Nebraska men's basketball fans would take 10 miles back right about now? I sure do. Anyways, congratulations to Ryan Williams. Looking forward to seeing the the team run it back with McKenna Hofschild this year. Certainly have the potential to make some noise. Would be awesome to see them break through and return to the NCAA tournament. All right, keeping things moving. CSU men's golf recently punched their ticket to the NCAA championship. Additionally, Christoph Blair individually earned co-medalist honors at the Auburn Regional. It is the third time overall for the program that they have reached the NCAA championship. First since 2011, 1999 was the first overall. So this is certainly a big deal for CSU, not something that just happens every year. Uh, The Rams earned the spot by six strokes 
Christoph Blair was awesome, as was Connor Jones, who finished in third place. As it notes in a really solid press release from Ryan Pfeiffer, the assistant director of communications at CSU, kind of a slow start on the final day for CSU. Uh, they, they just needed to be, you know, solid. They didn't need like a terrific performance to seal the deal, but nerves were high. They started slow. Fortunately, steadied the ship on the back nine, were able to bring it home. When it was all said and done, Jones shot a two under 70. He finished five under for the regional to finish in third place. Blair, on the other hand, shot an even par 72 on Wednesday, but he was seven under for the tournament. Just a really clutch performance from him throughout the event. Connor Jones as well. He's a guy who always seems to come up big in these big events. Next up for CSU, again, they will go to the NCAA championship. That will be in Scottsdale, Arizona from May 26th through the 31st. CSU will be one of 30 teams that will be participating. The first three days will consist of stroke play before the field is cut to eight, and then match play will take place between those eight teams on the 30th and 31st. Obviously, we'll all be pulling hard for the green and gold. It would be really neat to see them win a national championship, but just making it is a huge honor for this program. It's really cool to see, and I'm looking forward to watching some golf in about a week, so that's going to be a lot of fun. One last shout out and one last congratulations to the CSU men's golf program, making us all proud to be. All right, the last thing I wanted to cover before we get into some of these Mountain West win totals, I'll give some way too early predictions on those. Uh, Manny Jones, former CSU defensive end, claimed by the Steelers, initially had been in Arizona's camp the last couple of years, kind of bounced back and forth between the practice squad and active roster, but had flashed in spurts. He's a guy that I've always felt could be successful at the next level. One, because he's incredibly athletic, really strong dude, a great motor, but he's super versatile. You could play him on the outside. I think you could put him uh, in the interior a little bit, just kind of have him eat up blockers, allow some of those linebackers and guys along the edge to make plays. But more than anything, I'm just stoked to see him land in Pittsburgh. It's kind of silly, but it's just historically been a great, landing spot for former CSU and CU players, to be honest, but Joey Porter, Clark Hagens, there's just something about next level Rams that works in Pittsburgh and hopefully Manny can be the next guy. I'm stoked to see him end up with an organization like Pittsburgh, much more stable than Arizona. Obviously our boy Trey McBride's still there. We'll, we'll certainly be paying attention to the Cardinals. We're, we're always rooting for Trey. But in terms of organizational competency going from Arizona to Pittsburgh, that's about as steep of an upgrade as it gets. Obviously, we'll have to see how it all plays out. There's no guarantees, especially when you're a rotational player, a depth guy. You're just always going to be a little bit more expendable. But hopefully this is the change of scenery that Manny needed. Sometimes that's all it takes. All right, we're going to move on. We're going to get into those win totals. But when you get hurt, Backus & Shanker is here to help. Backus & Shanker wins for Colorado families. They have been helping those who are seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years. Free until they win money in your case. No upfront fee to speak with you about your case. No fee while they work on your case. And no fee unless they win your case and win money for you. Backus & Shanker has won over $1 billion for their clients, now with even more locations serving all of Colorado, including neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Inglewood, and Fort Collins. Backus & Shanker has the strength and power to win your case with more than 30 lawyers and 100 staff. 
Backus and Shanker helps with all kinds of injury cases when you weren't at fault. Car accidents, motorcycle, ride share, pedestrians, trucks. They can even help if you're injured at work. Call Backus and Shanker at 222-2222 to find out if you have a case for free. Backus and Shanker wins. Every time I do that Backus and Shanker phone number in my head, it's like the Kendrick Lamar mimic gun noises. For all of our sakes, I'm not going to try and mimic it or do an impersonation, but... If you listen to Kendrick, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, I guess, then, well, this means absolutely nothing to you. So let's get into some of these win totals. I got these 2023 win totals from DraftKings. I want to start this by adding the prerequisite that trying to make predictions at this stage of spring is fairly pointless. There's just too much that still needs to happen and camp and injuries and even roster movement, like... There's just too much to be settled. But I do think there are certain factors that you can look at that can give you a little bit of an idea of what to expect with the team. Do they have the same returning quarterback? Does their coach come back? For instance, UNLV, the only the only school that had to make a coaching change. So I guess I'm just saying take these with a grain of salt. We will revisit them again in the future once I have a better idea of returning offensive and defensive starters and able to really do a deep dive into the rosters and all that. But we're going to start with Air Force. They're coming off of a 10-3 and campaign. Their win total is set at 8.5, which is just perfectly set, especially when you dive into the schedule here. They open with Robert Morris and Sam Houston. Then they got Utah State, San Jose State. Could very easily be 4-0 to begin the year. But even knowing that, I'd be pretty hesitant to take the over on a win total of eight and a half just because of the uncertainty. Brad Roberts is gone. Hazeek Daniels is gone. And while I have the utmost respect for Troy Calhoun as a football coach, while I firmly believe they are the most consistent program in the state and I don't think they'll be a total disaster or anything like that, they're kind of due for a down year. And even when you listen to some of the comments that that Calhoun made throughout last year about how they were on this special run, but how it was probably the last of it. Like, the writing has kind of been on the wall there. Air Force's system inherently is always going to make them a challenge, especially if you're not used to that triple option. But what made this team especially tough these past couple of years was just the experience and continuity they had in that backfield, combined with a defense that was really good. And they lost quite a few guys defensively, too. It's just going to be a lot of new faces, a lot of moving parts. And I think that banking on them, putting your money on them to win nine games is, you know, a bit of a gamble. No, no pun intended there. All right, moving on. We've got Wyoming who went seven and six last year, but did end the season on a three game losing streak, including in the bowl game. Their win total is set at six and a half which feels about perfect. I mean, Wyoming's never going to be a disaster under Craig Bowl. He's just too good of a football coach. But they also seem to have a ceiling of about seven, eight wins. And that largely comes down to them not being able to score enough points to keep up with some of these elite offenses that teams like Boise State, Fresno State, even you know the Nevadas of the world when Norvell was there. But this year is going to be really interesting for Wyoming because they bring a lot back defensively. They bring back an experienced offensive line. 
they're just a huge question mark at the skill positions. I mean, they've got Andrew Peasley back at quarterback. That's a weird situation because he really is not much of a threat throwing the ball. In fact, I felt Wyoming got more competitive when he got injured and went out of the border war this past season. But just having him come back from a leadership standpoint, continuity, that's good, especially given you know the amount of transfers out of the program they've had uh, at quarterback, at running back receiver these past couple of years. That said, they did bring in Harrison Whaley, Northern Illinois transfer, really experienced back. He actually ran for close to 200 yards and a pair of touchdowns when Wyoming played UNI this past season. So he was a big add for them. But for me, like I said, because I just assume that Wyoming is always going to be at least competitive, I think it's going to come down to how they start the year because their non-conference schedule is really interesting. They open up against Texas Tech in Laramie, a winnable game at home, but certainly a game you could see them losing. Then they host Portland State, an FCS program that can be kind of all over the place, but usually is, is pretty decent. Then they go to Texas. That's probably a loss. Host App State, a wild card there. Admittedly, I don't know much about App State yet. I'll know more by the time August, September rolls around. I guess you feel pretty good that that game's in Laramie. Going to App State would be pretty intimidating. But that's a program that's beat A&M on the road. They beat Michigan on the road over the years. They're certainly not going to be scared going into Wyoming. But if you can beat App State, assuming that you also beat Portland State, you're at least 2-2 two and two in non-conference play with the potential of a really hot start if you could somehow upset Texas Tech or Texas. The thing is, you could also very realistically start 1-3 and three in that situation, even 0-4 if Portland State ends up being good. Right now, I'm going to hesitantly say over. I don't know if I actually gave a prediction for Air Force, but theirs was 8.5, and, and I'm, I'm predicting the under. I think they win 7 or 8 games for Wyoming. At six and a half, hesitantly over. I think seven and five feels feasible if you go two and two in that first month because you end the year against Hawaii at home and then Nevada, who should be terrible. That'd be four wins. If you beat New Mexico, that's five. They tend to play pretty well against Air Force. Six, then you have to win one of Fresno State, Boise State, CSU, UNLV for that, that seventh to hit. And if you lose to Air Force, then you have to win two of those, obviously. Shoot, maybe it comes down to the uh, the border war. It'll be interesting. But I think 7-5 and five does feel very possible for this Wyoming team. Given the offensive line that they have, they're going to be able to run the football, and they should be pretty solid defensively. So, you know, I, I think 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five is, is right where they're going to be, and that 6.5 is set well. Hesitantly take the over. Boise State coming off of a 10-4 2022 season. Their win total is set at 8.5, which is the highest in the conference. But I honestly lean over right now. They do open at Washington, which is tough before hosting UCF. Big that that game's at home. They host North Dakota. Uh, They do travel to Memphis after playing San Diego State, so that's kind of a weird non-conference game. But I think with Taylor Green coming back and with what they figured out offensively, they're just going to be really tough. Do lose JL Skinner, dynamic safety, who got drafted by the Denver Broncos, uh, Scott Matlock, who I believe ended up with the Chargers. But if you remember back to last year, as much as I loved what they brought to the table defensively, I just wasn't a big Hank Bachmeyer guy, and I felt like their offense was just not very dynamic. It was very predictable. If you pressured him, 
he wasn't a guy that could improvise or create out of structure. That's all flipped since Green took over. Down the stretch, they were really, really great. And if Green can play and make the same type of decisions that he did down the stretch, he showed great progress, great maturity as the season went on. I just think that that offense is is really going to be tough. And it feels like another nine-plus win season for Boise State to me, which I know is not what Ram fans want to hear. Moving on to Utah State, they're coming off of a six and seven season. Their win total set at five and a half. I, I like the under. I believe it'll be Cooper Legos taking over at quarterback now post Logan Bonner, but they've just been really boomer bust based on the transfer portal additions these past couple of years since Blake Anderson came over from Arkansas State. Even when they've won, at times it's been very fluky. And so I'm basically just betting against the sustainability of what they're doing. Uh, New Mexico coming off of a 2-10 season. Their win total is set at 4. Honestly, I don't know a ton. I tried to figure out who their quarterback is. Couldn't even find it on Google. They don't have a ton of coverage, I guess. Admittedly, I, I didn't like spend hours and hours on this. Obviously, it was a pretty brief search. I, I lean the under. As much as I like Danny Gonzalez, and I'm honestly rooting for him to succeed, they don't play CSU this year. But if you're betting on the over, that's basically banking on them winning three or more league games, and I just have a hard time seeing that. So I'd say best case, they push and go 4-8, and eight, but I would lean the under when it comes to the Lobos. San Diego State coming off of a 7-6 and six year, kind of underwhelming with the talent that they had defensively. But again, they just can't ever seem to figure it out on the offensive side. Their win total set at seven. I'm just going to say it's a push. You, you assume they'll be competent defensively. You assume they'll run the football well. But after starting against Ohio and Idaho State, should be 2-0 and to open the year. They host UCLA before going to Oregon State. Both of those tough. Then you get uh, Boise State coming to town before traveling to Air Force. That's a pretty tough four-game stretch that you could very realistically go one and three, uh, even 0 and four, depending on how Air Force is. After that, you go to Hawaii. That's never easy, especially after that month. Uh, Nevada, Utah State at home, a little bit of a break before they come to CSU. Then they play at San Jose State before ending against Fresno State. You know, I I feel like they're going to be in the mix. You know, you should win those games against Nevada, Utah State. Uh, San Jose State, that's three. If you beat Idaho State and UCLA, that's five. Then you really only have to win a couple more out of those Air Force, Hawaii, CSU, Boise State games. Seven and five feels very realistic, and that's why I'm just going with the push. All right, moving on, we've got Fresno State in the post-Jake Hayner world. Man, I love that dude. One of my favorite college football players these past couple of seasons. Uh, In addition to him, though, a lot of talent they're going to have to make up for at the skill positions as well. Jalen Cropper gone, Mims gone. A couple years ago, they lost Ronnie Rivers. As of right now, it is not determined who their quarterback will be for that week one opener against Purdue. My money is on UCF transfer Mikey Keene, a guy that CSU actually pursued as well, ultimately ended up in Fresno. Unsurprising. I mean, he has a much better chance to be the guy there than he would have in Fort Collins with Clay Millen and a couple of other quarterbacks already established as well. But much like Air Force, kind of tough to to go either way on Fresno just because of the uncertainty. 
It's going to be a lot of new people. They play a fairly challenging schedule open on the road at Purdue, which for a power five game is winnable, especially on the road. But you never know. You're still going on the road to face a Big Ten team. Could very easily be a, a significant loss. They go to Arizona State as well, which is not easy. And their other non-conference games of Kent State and Eastern Washington are not gimmies at all. That's tough. So I, I lean a push on Fresno. Again, I don't think they're going to be bad. But I picking them to win more than eight would be bold given how much we still don't know about them and that schedule. It's going to be tough, especially to start the year. All right. UNLV coming off of a five and seven season, their win total set at six. That feels high to me. I would take the under, they do bring Doug Brumfield back. And I guess the assumption is that under Barry Odom, they'll be more competent defensively, but you do lose Kyle Williams and I guess I'm just in wait and see stage with UNLV. It feels like they're getting a little prematurely hyped up, especially for a first year coach. Historically, that has not been a program that has made any type of traction. But it will be cool to see CSU go back to Vegas and play UNLV there for the first time since 2015 or 2016. I can't remember which one it was. Uh, Nevada coming off of a 2 and 10 season under Ken Wilson. They're over under, or their win total set at three. I take the push. I mean, I just, who knows what that team is going to look like. They do have Brendan Lewis now, former CU quarterback, brought in some Oregon transfers as well. A one guy, Ed Rusher, Adrian Jackson, former Mullen standout, is a guy that I was hoping CSU could have landed. But that was a bad team last year. They no longer have uh, Toa Tua in the back, so that's a, a veteran back that you're losing. We'll see, but uh, I, I would take the push. I have a hard time seeing them win more than three games, but with their easy non-conference schedule, they should get you know one, two, one or two wins early on. Uh, San Jose State coming off a seven and five year, their win total set at five and a half. It'll be interesting to see what this team looks like now that they've lost so many of those defensive pieces. I mean, their front seven was awesome these past couple of years, and really, they probably should have won more with how much talent they had in that front seven. They do get Chevin Cordero back, former Hawaii quarterback that transferred there last season. I do like Brent Brennan a lot. I think he's a good coach. He's very enjoyable to talk to. But I'm going to take the under because their non-con is rough. You open at USC, then you host Oregon State, looking at 0-2 there. Then you play Cal Poly. We'll see before traveling to Toledo. Best case, 2-2, two and two, likely 1-3 before having to play Air Force in the triple option. That's never fun. Then they get Boise State. I mean, there's a real possibility that they start 2-4 and four at best, but realistically 1-5, and 0-6 oh in a disastrous scenario if they somehow got upset by Cal Poly. And I guess I just have a hard time finding six wins on their schedule. At New Mexico, that's a winnable game. Hawaii, maybe, but going to the island is never an easy spot. You do get Utah State at home. That should be a win. But even then, you're only at three, four tops, and that's that's before closing the year against Fresno State, San Diego State, UNLV. So I like the under for San Jose State. I guess if Chevin Cordero were to just go off and make plays with his legs, put up massive numbers through the air, that would be the way in which that prediction went wrong. But I feel pretty good about it. Uh, Hawaii coming off a three and ten year, their win total set at three and a half. I like the over. 
look, it's still a long path forward for that program under Timmy Chang, but I believe in what he is building. I felt like that was a program that was pretty competitive week in and week out. They were one of the best teams against the spread this past season, and they have the best home field advantage in college football with the tough travel situation. Starting quarterback comes back, year two in the run and shoot. I like Hawaii to win four games. I think that's very reasonable. The funny thing is it honestly might come down to week 12. It might be that Hawaii CSU game that could potentially determine whether the overhits for both of these programs, uh, Hawaii three and a half, and of course CSU, which we get to now, coming off of a three and nine season, they're over under set at four and a half. I am hoping that at that point, if anything, they're trying to lock up a bowl, if not already. I like the over for CSU. I think that five wins should be the floor, at least if the offensive line is even average, and that is under the assumption that you go at least 500 in non-conference play. But if you do that, even if you lose to Washington State and CU, which is very possible, you know, it's it's certainly... A possibility. I'm not very high on Utah State. I think that's a winnable game to open up the the league slate. Boise State probably a loss. I'm really high on them, and you know, CSU's never beat Boise State. So for me to come on here and say it's this is going to be the year, that would be pretty bold. I like CSU's chances of winning at UNLV. One of the big reasons that I like CSU's chances of making a bowl this year, the fact that they have some winnable road games. It's a much easier road slate than they played last year. So if you go two and two in non-conference play, if you beat Utah State on the road, that's three wins right there. If you can beat UNLV on the road, that's four wins. If you beat one of Air Force or Wyoming, that's five wins. And then you just need to win one out of San Diego State, Nevada, and Hawaii for a six and six season. With the talent CSU has at the skill positions, they have the best receiving core in the Mountain West. They have a much improved group of tight ends. Running backs, I'm, I'm high on. Defensively, they should be awesome, and it's year two for Clay Millen. Again, you know, it all comes down to the O-line, but when I think back to how competitive this team played down the stretch with scholarship totals in the low 50s, you know, they're not going to have to deal with the same type of mass exodus. There might be a couple of in-season transfers because that's just college football, but it's not going to be like last year. And just as a whole, you're not playing quite as tough as a schedule. You're not playing Michigan. You're not playing... FCS championship contending team. You get Wazoo again, but at least you're at home. I'm cautiously optimistic, guys. I'm cautiously optimistic. I could see a scenario in which this team really clicks in year two, and they're even better than I think. I could also see it being kind of up and down, and they end up basically, you know, coming out even. But that'd be a win at this point. Just get to a bowl, get back to the postseason. And show some growth. That's really all we're looking for. Some rivalry wins, maybe. That'd be gravy. If you went 6-6, six and six, went to the New Mexico Bowl, won it this time, so I guess finished 7-6, and six, but in those seven wins were like a border war victory, maybe finally get Air Force back, or God, could you imagine going into Boulder and beating CU, how sweet that would be. But just play well in the games that matter and get back into the conversation. That's really all we're looking for. Yes, we want to see CSU turn the corner and start competing for championships. I don't know if this is going to be the year, but much like 2013, I do think this could be the start of a run. So yeah, that's where I'm at. That's where my head's at as of now, Thursday, May 18th at midnight, basically. 
but we'll definitely revisit these before the football season. That's all I've got for tonight. Shout out to you for supporting my content, for listening to my ramblings. It means a lot to me. Much love, y'all. Hope everybody has a good weekend. I'll have more content coming out. Peace. Probably never make it when you listening to that right now. I said we on now.